The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. You survived, right? Tell your neighbor they look really great this morning, will you? Fantastic. Um, as, as many of you know, we've been in uh, the Gospel of Mark, and we took a little break, and then, of course, there were a couple more weeks that we took a break because of the snow, but we're going to pick back up uh, in that this morning, and I'm really glad that you're here. Um, Mark Batterson, and many of you know who that is, in, in his book called If, and this is actually a book that our small group is studying, we're actually going through this together, but in his book, he talks about a Harvard professor Uh, by the name of Robert Merton, who in 1936 uh, wrote a thesis thesis uh, on what he called the law of unintended consequences. And he described it this way, and we'll actually put it up on the screen for you so you can see that. He said this, simply put, the outcome of our actions have unintended consequences that are beyond our ability to control and beyond our ability to predict. In other words, every decision that you make, every decision that we make, has a million consequences, very few of which we can predict, and every action we take has a million ramifications, very few of which we can control. But then he goes on in his book, and he's a Jesus follower, a Christian, he goes on in his book and he says, but that's where the sovereignty of God actually comes into play. Because there are no contingencies, and I absolutely love this. Uh, this is such a, an amazing part of the book. Uh, he says, there are no contingencies that God... Can we just give uh, Terry a wonderful hand? He went and got my glasses for me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Terry. Love you, man. I appreciate it. He goes on to say that there is no contingency that God, the omniscient one, has not taken into account, which means, which means you don't want your plan to succeed if God has a better one, right? Right? Isn't that right? This is why I love what the Apostle Paul said uh, when he wrote to some Christians, some Jesus followers in, in Rome. Uh, he said this. He said, and we know, in other words, there's, there's no doubt, there's no uncertainty, there's no reservation, we are absolutely convinced That in all things, the good things that happen, the bad things that happen, the ugly things that happen in life, that in all things, not just isolated events, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, let me tell you what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that all things are good because not all things are good. We live in a very broken world. We live in a very fallen world. But what he is saying is that our God, our Heavenly Father, God is able to turn every circumstance around far good. In other words, it's the promise of unexpected benefits, even in the worst of circumstances. And, and, and let me just say this as I was looking at this verse. God is not working for our good so that we'll be happy He's working in order to fulfill his purpose. This is so huge. This is so important for us to understand that it's about his purpose. When I was five years old, and this was during the summer, my parents uh, left me, and I had two brothers at the time, left me with my Aunt Lena 
at my house, my dad's sister, who was babysitting us. And in our neighborhood, uh, they had an ice cream truck that would drive down our street. And, you know, like most kids, and that's a picture of the actual, you know, back from that era, 1958. And like most kids, I asked my aunt, I said, hey, I'd like to go buy some ice cream. And she's like, okay, well, sure, you can do that. And so I... uh, Got the money from my aunt. Um, I remember running down the steps of my house and, you know, that we were living in and crossing the street to where the ice cream, ice cream truck was. And I went around to the side of the truck where the sidewalk was, bought my ice cream, had it in my hand. And then I remember this. I was five years old. I remember this. I went to the back of the truck, looked to my left to make sure that, you know, there you know, weren't uh, you know, any cars coming. And then I started across the street. But what I did not realize, and this is why, kids, you should always do what when you're getting ready to cross the street? Yeah, you should always look both ways, absolutely. But what I didn't realize was that another car was coming from the other direction. And I had only gotten maybe, you know, five or six steps uh, when the car plowed into me, and there I was in the middle of the street. And the next thing I remember, I I can remember my Aunt Lena carrying me in her arms and uh, as we we made our way back to the house. And I must have gone in and out of consciousness because the next thing I remember was waking up in the hospital and that's a picture uh, of me in the hospital at five years old wondering what in the world had just happened. And what I did not know then and what I would not understand until years later is that as bad as it was to get hit by a car, as bad as it was to spend several days in a hospital, as bad as it was not knowing whether I was going to actually live or die, in the midst of all of that, an unexpected benefit happened as a result. And here's what happened. Here here was the unexpected benefit. Here is the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. My mom, who was in her early 20s at the time, uh, who grew up in church, her dad was a pastor, my grandfather was a pastor, uh, but my mom, who grew up in church, decided that she did not want to live for God anymore. And so she stopped going to church. She start, stopped living for God. She stopped living out her faith. And she just decided, I'm going to you know, do my own thing, live my own life, my plan, my way, and, and just go my own direction. But when I got hit by a car, and again, this is just another reminder of how important we are to God and how much God loves us. And because we're important to God, we are in more ways than we can, than we can count the recipients of unexpected benefits. But when I got hit by that car, and they were finally able to get a hold of my mom to let her know what happened. My mom, who was running from God, who had given up on church, who was headed in the wrong direction, when she found out that I was in the hospital and they weren't sure if I was going to live or not, she immediately turned her attention back toward God. And it was so interesting because in the conversations with my mom, and we've talked about this so many times, she told me, she said, you know, usually whenever something would happen, I would always call my dad or get a hold of my dad because I knew if my dad prayed, everything would be okay. But she said this time, it was as if the Lord was saying, you don't need to call your dad. This is between you and me. This is you and me, one-on-one. And so she turned her attention back toward God, and this is how she prayed. She said, God, if, if you will heal my son, if you will spare my son's life, if you will allow me to bring him home from the hospital, I will live for you the rest of my life. Because again, up to this point, she had turned her back on God. And of course, my mom, just like you, 
just like me, whenever we're facing something that's out of our control, we have no control over, we begin to think, how in the world could anything possibly good come from this? How in the world could anything possibly good come from this? But my mom prayed that prayer, and God answered that prayer. I mean, obviously, I'm standing here today. I survived. Okay, I'm here. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And as horrible as it is that a child would be hit by a car, and as horrible as it is that something like that would happen, and as horrible as it is that a mom would have to go through the emotional stress and pain of that, at the end of the day, the unexpected benefit through all of that was that my mom recommitted her life to Jesus. And my mom, who will be 87 years old at the end of this month, after all those years, has never, ever wavered in that promise that she made to God in her early 20s. Still living for God today. And see, here, here's, the, here's the deal. Here, here's the thing. We may not always understand why certain things happen. We may not always understand why it is that we're going through what we're going through, but here's what we can hold on to as Christians. Here's what we can hold on to as followers of Jesus. We have the promise of unexpected benefits because God, God is the only one. He is the only one. He is the only one who can take all things, work all things together for the good of those who love him. It's a promise for Christians. It's a promise for Jesus' followers. In fact, because of my accident, being in the hospital and going through that, not only did my mom recommit her life to Christ, but she recommitted to taking us boys back to church again. So we started attending church again, and it was at church that I fell in love with the local church, which was a catalyst for me one day launching a church called Solid Rock. Talk about an unexpected benefit, right? And not only that, but my mom would go on to have three more children, all boys. That's a whole sermon all by itself, okay? Six boys. But all six of my brothers to this day and my dad would eventually become Jesus followers. And today, I'm now influencing my grandchildren to follow Jesus. Talk about an unexpected benefit, right? And in our passage this morning, as we continue our study through the book of Mark, we're going to see this principle played out in a very, very dramatic way, and then you're going to hear an incredible, incredible testimony about that as well. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Here's what Mark writes, beginning at verse 1. Another time, so this is not the only time that Jesus did this. He did this throughout his ministry. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them, and the them that that Mark's talking about, they are the religious leaders. They're the Pharisees. They're the teachers of the law. These These are the religious guys. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So the whole reason that these religious leaders are there that day, it's not to worship. It's not to learn anything. It's not to point people to God, which is what they should have been doing. It's for one reason, and that's to find a reason, somehow, some way, to accuse Jesus. He goes on. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him, the, the man with the shriveled hand, on the Sabbath. So this wasn't to see if he could. They, they knew that he could. They'd heard about what he could do. They wanted to see if he would. 
So Jesus is teaching a way, and we don't know if he's at the beginning of his sermon. We don't know if he's in the middle of his sermon. We don't know if he's at the end of his sermon. But somewhere while Jesus is standing in the synagogue, maybe two or 300 people there all gathered around. They're watching Jesus teach. But in the middle or somewhere in his sermon, while he's teaching, he sees this man sitting there. And we don't know if this man is sitting in the very back of the synagogue or in the middle of the synagogue. Uh, we're not really sure uh, where he's at. We, we, we do know he's not on the front row because the front row were for the religious leaders. And all of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law with their, you know, their, all their uh, garb that they have on, they all come in and they sit in the front row because that's the seat of honor and that's where they all show up and they're staring at Jesus trying to intimidate Jesus as if they thought they could actually really do that. There's no way they could do that. But anyway, Jesus is teaching and he sees this uh, man with the shriveled hand uh, sitting there. And I just want to make a couple of comments about this man. First of all, First of all, he's not even supposed to be there. I mean, according to their theology, because he's disabled, because he's handicapped, because he's been ostracized from the community, he's not even supposed to be there. So the question is, why is he there? Here's why. Because, and, and I've done a lot of research on this, and this is what I, my observation of this. He's there because he was planted there, probably by the religious leaders. They were manipulating him. They were using him. Probably nothing worse than having people in religious authority use people. I mean, it's not enough that he's disabled. It's not enough that he's ostracized. It's not enough that, you know, he's cut off from temple worship. But now the people who are supposed to be pointing him to God, the, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they're just using him to make a point. They couldn't care less about him. And Jesus knows exactly what they're doing. The, the other interesting thing about this uh, man is that the way that Mark writes this, it gives the idea, as, as you study it out in the Greek, it gives the idea that he wasn't born with this condition, that it was actually something that happened to him later on in life. Maybe in his early 20s, maybe in his early 30s, we're not really sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. Either the result of an accident or maybe an illness or maybe a disease. But regardless, there he is sitting in the synagogue and Jesus sees him, and here's what Jesus says to him. He says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And I love this because, again, the way that Mark writes this, it gives the idea that when Jesus asked him to stand up, he was actually inviting him to join him in the middle of the synagogue. In other words, you know, to come and just stand beside Jesus. I love that. So they're standing there together. This is so awesome. They're standing there together. Picture this. Him and the man with the shriveled hand who knows what it was shriveled. We don't know what it looked like, but uh, try to imagine that. He's standing there, and then Jesus turns to them, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And they're all sitting there on that front row, just staring at Jesus, just waiting, just watching looking for a reason to accuse him. And so Jesus asks them a question. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good, which he was about to do, or to do evil, which he knew they were about to do concerning him. To save life or to kill life. And when Jesus asked this question, it was so brilliant because Jesus is so brilliant. When he asked this question, 
There was no middle ground. There was, there was no, it was just so straightforward. It was deliberate. You had to go one way or the other. And the interesting thing is, is they knew the answer to the question. And yet, look at their response. But they remained silent. And I love how Mark, unlike other gospel writers, records for us the emotion of Jesus. And notice his response to their silence. And Jesus turns to them and he looks at them with anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And I just want to pause right there for just a moment because the way Mark writes this is a little bit complex. I want to try and unpack this just a little bit. Outwardly, Outwardly, it was actually a display of wrath. In fact, it, it, the Greek word that Mark uses, it depicts a passionate, picture this, a passionate, impulsive expression of intense emotion. In, in other words, let me say it this way. Jesus' compassion for this disabled man prompted protective anger at those, them, who would actually deny him the help that he needed. That was outwardly. Inwardly, Jesus was grieved. He was grieved. And in the Greek, it gives the idea of to sorrow with or to have sympathy toward. In fact, this is the only time in the New Testament where this term is, is actually, actually used in the entire New Testament. And so what Mark is really saying is this, that Jesus grieved because of the hardness of their heart. And, and in the first century, and, and Mark's readers would have understood this, in the first century to say that a person had a hard heart did not mean that they were unkind, did not mean that they were, you know, unkind or cruel. It, it meant, what it meant was this, that their reasoning and their emotions had become resistant to development. In, in other words, we might say it like this, they were hard-hearted or they were spiritually blind. In fact, here's how one commentary described it as I was studying this past week. Jesus grieved for the Pharisees like we would feel sorry for a blind beggar groping aimlessly for food. So again, the compassion of Jesus, Jesus' compassion for the disabled man prompted a protective anger at those who would actually deny him help. And Jesus' compassion for them, the religious leaders, prompted a mourning or a deep anguish for the suffering that they would endure for eternity. And so looking at them with anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he turns from the religious leaders, looks at the man who's standing next to him, and I think maybe he might have even smiled at him. And imagine what must have been going through that man's mind. It's like, <laughs> uh-oh, he just faced down these powerful religious leaders. I wonder what's going to happen to me. And he may have, been, may have been thinking, I'm not even sure why I'm standing here. I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to be healed. I didn't ask for anything. And Jesus, standing there next to him, looks at him and he says, stretch out your hand. And imagine the tension this man must have felt. And imagine perhaps the dead silence in the synagogue as everybody's eyes are zeroed in on Jesus, including the religious leaders. Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And all the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law sitting there in the front row were furious, some of the other gospel writers tell us. And they left 
Check this out, which is, so, which is so strange, isn't it? I mean, think about this for a moment. How would you respond? How would you respond if you just saw an incredible miracle take place and somebody healed right before your eyes? How would you respond? You'd probably respond like I would. You're like, oh my gosh, look what God's done. This is amazing. Are you kidding me? Did you see what just happened? We would be celebrating, but not the religious leaders. Because their hatred for Jesus, their animosity towards Jesus, their wanting, you know, and their being the enemies of Jesus. Look how they responded. And the Pharisees, right after this miracle happens, right after this incredible thing happens, they went out and they began to plot with the Herodians, which is so strange in and of itself. How they might what? Come on, how they might what? Kill Jesus. Instead of celebrating, instead of rejoicing, they plot to kill Jesus. The religious leaders bring this man in, plant him in the synagogue to manipulate him, to use him, to somehow trap Jesus. I mean, that was their plan. But God had something else in mind. They intended to use him. They intended to to mistreat him. They intended to manipulate him. But God had something else in mind because Jesus consistently prioritized people over his own religion, his own traditions, and even his own customs. And because of that, this man was the recipient of an unexpected blessing and benefit. So I just want to make three observations, and then we're done. First observation is this. We need to recognize that everyone faces difficulties in life. All of us. Now, you already knew that, didn't you? You already knew that. But see, if you're on Facebook a lot, that may be hard to believe. You know, because, you know, you look at what other people are doing, and you look at the vacations they're going on, and you look at the number of likes that they're getting, and, you know, we're just, oh, and, and we have a tendency, if we're not careful, it's evil to think, it's easy to think, man, their lives are amazing. They must never have any problems whatsoever. But it's not true. None of us, all of us go through life, none of us go through life without difficulties. And it doesn't matter, you know, especially if you're a Christian for, you know, been a Christian for six months, if you're the great apostle Paul. We all face difficulties. But here's the promise of Romans 8, 28. That no matter what we face, no matter how bad the circumstance is, God, even in the worst of circumstances, can bring good out of it. In fact, I want to show you just just real briefly how this played out in the life of the Apostle Paul. I want to read to you something that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And this is out of, uh, that really drives this point home. This is out of Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. Paul is actually writing from prison. That's important to know that. Here's what he says. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, in other words, and you, you know what's happened to me. I mean, you know that I can't come and go. You know that I cannot go and visit the churches that I planted around the Mediterranean Rim. I can't go there and talk with the pastors. I can't go there and talk with the congregations. But I just want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, Paul, Paul, are, are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you saying that being in prison actually produced an unexpected benefit? And that the unexpected benefit of you being in prison is the advancement of the gospel? And Paul would be like, yeah, 
It's exactly right. And no, I would have never planned it this way. I would have never chosen this to happen. I would have never chosen to be sitting here in prison. I would like to be out doing, but yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. He goes on, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, here's another great reminder that we have a tendency to forget. Just because things aren't going the way I think they should be going, that does not mean that God is not at work in my life or your life. Just because things don't turn out the way I planned them or I thought they would be, does not mean that God is not somewhere behind the scenes orchestrating and, and, and putting things into position for his purpose. I mean, think about this. The great apostle Paul wanted to preach the gospel in the Roman Colosseum. Paul wanted to preach, you know, he wanted to have a, a crusade and preach to thousands and thousands of people. That was his plan. That was his goal. That was his idea. But instead, God puts him in prison where he would write some of the most widely read scripture in all of history, which we're reading today. I would say that's an unexpected benefit, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? And not only that, but he's chained to a palace guard. You say, well, why is that such a big deal? Let me tell you why that's such a big deal, why that's so important. This is just fascinating to me. It's just incredible. I mean, talk about unexpected benefits. A praetorian guard or a palace guard, they were like, they were like the elite troops of the Roman Empire. In fact, these guys, these palace guards, were actually uh, uh, handpicked by uh, the emperor himself. And in this case, it was Nero. They were actually handpicked by Nero himself. They were his bodyguards, and he would handpick them. And they were also the highest paid people in the Roman Empire. And so what would happen is, is these palace guard or these elite soldiers, they would serve for 12 years. They would serve for 12 years as, as Nero's bodyguards. They would serve, you know, that time. And then after their 12 years was up, they would then retire. And then after they had retired, uh, they were then made. So they served 12 years. Then they were retired. After they were retired, they would then be made leaders in the Roman Empire after they retired. So, so let's just put this in perspective. Think, think about this for a second. This, it's just amazing to me how God works. There was not a more strategic group of people that Paul could have witnessed to than these elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. And he was chained to one for 24 hours a day for two years. And God in his sovereignty, think about this, brought the most influential people in Rome, chained them to Paul, and then let Nero pay for it. Uh, is that incredible or what? It's awesome. And I can just imagine, you know, as you think about this, try to picture this, you know, that every Roman guard who came in, he's chained to Paul, you know, for the next, you know, few hours. And Paul looks at him. And so Paul's like, so, <laughs> have you heard about Jesus? They're like, well, you know, I'm going to be here for a while, so you're probably going to tell me anyway. And he would share Jesus with them. That's, that's what I call a captive audience, right? That's what I'm talking about. And, and if it's calculated correctly, I don't know if I did this right, but if it's calculated correctly, in two years at four-hour shifts, Paul could have potentially witnessed to over 4,000 guards, which is just mind-boggling to me. And these very, very influential leaders, these men, these future leaders 
of the Roman Empire, think about this, watched Paul write parts of the New Testament while he was in prison, write write, uh, parts of the New Testament. They watched Paul pray. They listened to Jesus, uh, or listened to Paul talk about uh, Jesus, uh, you know, while they were chained to him. In fact, Paul was so influential in sharing Jesus with these men that when they would leave him and they would go back into Nero's palace, they would talk about what they had heard from Paul. And as a result, this is, this is so amazing to me, as a result, it was so impactful that, that members, that many of Nero's own family actually became followers of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's why Paul, and you can, you can read this, you should read your Bible, it's, it's amazing. At the end of his letter to the church at Philippi, this is why he would write this, these words right here. He said, and all of God's people here send you greetings, but especially, I mean, we're all sending you greetings, but especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I mean, talk about unexpected Benefits. In fact, history tells us that Nero, who hated Christians, I and mean, that's pretty obvious, he had his mother, his wife, and his children all executed because they became followers of Jesus. I mean, Paul having a right perspective. I mean, do you think Paul having a right perspective when he was going through what he was going through was important? Do you think Paul having a right perspective about what happened to him mattered? Absolutely. Just like you. Just like me having a right perspective. And then here's another unexpected benefit. Check this out. Verse 14, and because of my chains, so it's not just the elite soldiers, it's not just the palace guards, but because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to reclaim the gospel without without fear. In other words, my attitude, my perspective towards this Towards my problems have also encouraged other people. And so Paul's like, you know what? I'm an encouragement to other, other followers of Jesus who are now being more bold because of me being bold in my situation. And the second, second observation is this. And again, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier when we read this story about Mark, but the second observation is we need to remember that Christ, with Christ we're never alone. And in the story that Mark uh, you wrote again, I love this part, where Jesus asked this man to come and stand beside him. And I think what he was saying was this, when, when he asked him to do that, in doing so, he let him know, you're not alone, I'm right here with you, we're going to walk through this thing together. A couple of weeks ago, I was out in the foyer and I was talking to a man in our church, and they were telling me about a circumstance that their son went through, and is actually still going through to this day. And how God has provided and produced an unexpected benefit as a result, but also that his son is experiencing the presence of Jesus in a way that he's never, ever experienced before. And so, rather than me tell you about that, I'm going to ask John to come and to share that story with our congregation. So, John, would you come? Would you give John a warm hand as he comes? Hi, so this is what I get for saying hi to Pastor in the uh, lobby, I see. <laughs> unattended, unattended consequence, I think. So, um, no, when, when, when Pastor asked me to talk today, I, I didn't quite get it at first, but I can see now why I did, because if this was a conversation I was having with, uh, with uh, him personally, I'd say, let me tell you about a guy I know. And that guy I know is my son, Ben. I wish he could be here today, but he lives in Portland now. But I want to share his story real quick with you, just to give you an idea. 
of unintended consequence. When we first moved here, Ben started developing headaches. This morning, Ben woke up, I guarantee you, with a horrible migraine headache that is almost incapacitating. He's been doing that for about eight to 10 years now. But when we first moved here and these headaches started coming to him, um, he was doing excellent in school. He was a award-winning basketball player for Tahoma. He was uh, ambitious about life. All he wanted to do is not have kids, live in a really big house, and have a really fancy car. So this is the opposite of what I am, but <laughs> I didn't take it personally. Um, he was a normal teenager. He was starting to be angry, trying to question life a little bit, was, uh, was starting to rebel against mom and dad. But he was very ambitious. He knew what he was wanting to do. But these headaches were coming more and more and more. Uh, long story short, they kept coming. They never went away. We've tried, we tried everything from acupuncture to special diets to pills. Everything we could, the headaches weren't going to go away. It all came to a head in December, after about two years after living here. He was in the fetal position in my, in my uh, kitchen. I'll never forget it with Hadley. And he just looked at me and he goes, Dad, I don't want to live anymore. And for you to see a child do that, it's pretty intense. So that was his bottom point. And he didn't think God had any purpose for him. I was even questioning at that point why this was happening. But it's amazing how that turned around. This softened him. He started to break. He started losing his anger. He stopped hating his parents. He stopped hating God. He honestly didn't have the strength to do that anymore. And he uh, started working at, uh, he, we found some medicine that worked for him, just takes the pain off a little bit, but it doesn't change his day at all. Um, he started working at a, a, um, at a yogurt shop and he started witnessing to people. He started talking about Jesus again. He started having relationships with people. And he realized, I mean, I can tell you story upon story, but his faith with God grew stronger and stronger. He realized what he had to do with his life. There was a, a homeless man that he used to feed at, in Issaquah after work. And he finally said one night when he was praying for Ben, as Hadley reminded me today, that thank you for being a fisher of men, Ben. And he, I think he realized at that point that this is something that he would never have had without his headache. Um, that's where he's at today. He went to PBC, Portland Bible College. He graduated. He realized he wants to use God, or he wants to serve God with his life now, which is a far cry from uh, living in a really big house alone with a fancy car. Now, now he wants to foster. He wants to um, adopt, and he wants an old pickup truck. So I, I, I think in that aspect, he's doing great. Um, but he's going forward with this. This is not stopping him. He uh, is leaving his job this summer as assistant manager at a motorcycle shop in Portland, and he's going to plant a church with some, with some people in Orcas Island. Something that I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, so, I'm so proud of him for that. And, and, and uh, the last, one of the things is that he will be healed someday. He prayed for uh, relief. He's never got it, but one time when he was praying for it, his headache went away for 15 seconds. And he knows that when, God's, when he's mature enough and he's, God's ready, he will be released. So I know i got to wrap up, but as a parent, I, I need to say what I've learned from Ben's journey is that as a parent, I can't take credit for, your child, for a child's success, and you really can't take credit sometimes for a child's failure. The, people, the person that deserves credit here is for Ben's success is God because that's the only thing that changed in the, in the whole equation. 
And if he was here today, he would share two things with you that I know I want to tell you real quick, is that sharing God is the very reason you are on this planet, and that it is always through relationship. Everything is relational with humans. It requires vulnerability and requires sacrifice. Do not go through your life without embracing this. And the other thing is that he has a headache every day, and it saved his life. He's, he's told me he's happy he has a headache. It's, it's incredible to hear that come out of his mouth. And he wants people to know that you don't have to have an affliction to be awoken or awakened to that, to that, uh, to that principle. So please don't forget, don't let that pass you by in your life is what he would say to you. I want to read this so I don't get it wrong. I'm so proud of my son, Ben. His dedication to God, his handling of pain, his connection to God, to him using his God's strength in his weakness. Through his pain, God's power is shown. Thank you. Talk about an unexpected benefit. Wow. Going to plant a church. How awesome is that? I was thinking of the Apostle Paul, the thorn in the flesh, when you were talking. And we don't always understand. We need to recognize that we all face difficulties in life. We need to remember that with Christ, we're never alone. And then number three, we need to respond. And this is exactly what Ben did. We need to respond with obedience to whatever it is that Christ asks of us. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's what Ben did. That's what this man did. Imagine what must have been going through his mind as Jesus asked him to do something that perhaps he hadn't been able to do for decades. I want you to stretch out your hand, and if you'll trust me, I'll do for you what only God can do. And he stretched out his hand, and he was instantly healed. Now he could provide for his family. Now he could worship at the temple. Now he was back into community. And not only that, but his testimony of healing would be an open door for advancing the gospel, which is what's happening with Ben, the advancement of the gospel. It's not about being happy. It's about fulfilling God's purpose. So you think it's about your happiness, and it's not about that. It's about fulfilling his purpose. We've got to have purpose. That's what needs to happen. And it's the process. It's what he does in us while we're going through it that gives us that purpose. I want to read to you one more time. We're going to give you a card like this you can take with you when you leave. Uh, it just has this verse on it. <clears throat> I'd encourage you to memorize it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's a promise for Christians who have been called according to his purpose. There's nothing more important than obedience. Now, before I pray with you, I want to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes. 21 years ago, this very month, Solid Rock had its very first service, and some of you were in that service who are here today. And I was thinking back, I remember all the planning, all the preparation, all the praying, 
uh, that went into that and all the different meetings that we had and, you know, just talking about, you know, uh, you know when we were going to plant the church and start. And I remember even when we came up with the name of Solid Rock, Kathy and I, we were praying back and forth, you know, about what, what should we call this? I mean, what, what do we feel like God wants us to name this? And I remember we landed on a verse out of Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually where the name Solid Rock came from when, we, when Kathy and I founded the church it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock, solid rock. So, so, so both Kathy and I knew that God was clearly calling us to plant a church right here in the heart of Covington. And so for the last 21 years, we have given our, our, our lives, you know, our, our, the best that we can, our abilities, our skills to lead Solid Rock to the best of our ability and lead the church where we felt like God wanted us to go and where we were supposed to go as a church. And about a year ago, uh, God began, to, began speaking to Kathy and me, not only about the future of Solid Rock, but also about our future as well. And if I'm honest, we've we wrestled uh, a tremendous amount with uh, what we were feeling, and uh, a lot of tears, a lot of just just a lot of wrestling. And after much prayer and fasting and tears, uh, two weeks ago we met with our elders and shared with them what we were feeling. And now I want to share with you what I shared with them, and that's that at the end of August, Kathy and I will be stepping down and we'll be retiring as pastors of Solid Rock. And I, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Um, please, please understand. Please know that this was not an easy decision. And thank you, Steve. I, I appreciate that, man. Um, this was not an easy decision. Is something that we've been wrestling with for a long time. Uh, and honestly, if I had my way, I'd pastor till I was 90. You know, that's what I would do. But God had other plans. And I can tell you that Kathy and I both have a peace about this. Uh, we, we feel God's peace in this after praying. And like I said, for almost a year now, praying about uh, the future and uh, what, what God would have us to do. I do know that... Um, from the first Sunday of Solid Rock, when we had that first service to this very moment, we have given everything we can give. We've loved you. We've counseled with you. We've mentored you. Some of you I've mentored for years. We've celebrated with you. We've cried with you. We've tried to model what it means to be a Jesus follower. Most importantly, we've done our very best to point you to Jesus because that's really what it's about. You know, being in a society, in a world that points people to everything but Jesus, we've tried to point you to him. So that's what we've tried to do. So what's the plan going forward? So the plan going forward, as, as a church, we need to be praying that God will bring the right person to you know, to be the new pastor to lead Solid Rock into the future. What God would have for Solid Rock and where he wants to take Solid Rock and in reaching more people for Christ. 
our elders and I will continue to meet together to develop and initiate and implement a transition plan. We're already in the early stages of that. And we'll keep you updated along the way so that you know where we are in the process. For Kathy and I, uh, you will always be our family. Um, our, our plan is that once we retire at the end of August is to, you know, step away for months. And then if God allows it, maybe to integrate back in as a part of the family. We plan on attending our small group uh, together during the process. But most importantly, you know, let's, let's be a church of prayer. Let's be the kind of church that a new pastor would be thrilled to pastor. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's be in prayer. Let's keep moving forward. It's a time to hold steady. It's a time to move into the future. And, you know, God's got someone that he has ordained to be here. I truly believe in my heart that Solid Rock's best days are in front of him. And I think that God has got some incredible things planned for our church. I do love you. This is very difficult for Kathy and I. We've, we've struggled with this for a long time and we just felt like today, 21 years this month to the, to the month is the day to, to say we're stepping down, retiring. So we're old anyway, so. Thank you so much. I, I love, love you all. And, you know, we'll walk through the next few months together as a church family. And, um, you know, change is difficult. You know, change is not easy. And, uh, but it's his church, right? It's God's church. And so he knows what's best. I love you. God bless you. I love you too. Love you too. <laughs> love you too. I, I, I'm not even going to pray. I just love you. I'll see you guys next week. So.